You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 107. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we will continue our discussion on the stock market's coming potential lost decade. We take a look at this concept in reference to the Schiller PE and whether or not the markets are cheap or expensive right now at present. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a look at a couple of small cap companies sent in by listeners over the past week, including a dividend payer and one cash-rich technology play. The first decisive dividend corporation, symbol DE on the TSX Venture, is an acquirer of diverse profitable companies, including everything from a wood and gas stove business to an air blast sprayer and a business that provides products to the cement, mining, oil and gas, aggregate and coal industries. The second is Quarter Hill Inc., symbol QTRH on the TSX, historically an intellectual property licensing company, which now focuses on the acquisition and management of technology companies that provide products and services worldwide. Finally, our dog of the week is Facebook Inc. FB on the NASDAQ, which needs no introduction. Mark Zuckerberg's social media giant has come through the pandemic well, but is facing significant challenges in the near term. Aaron discusses the impact on the stock. Welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Doing well. Good. My co-hosts, Aaron Dunn and uh, Brennan, how are you doing today? You're doing well. That's good. Uh, we're gonna. I thought we'd start by discussing, kind of doubling back on uh, that concept of the lost decade from last week. And I, I thought I'd frame it in the argument around the Schiller PE and where we are last week. Well, for those who did not tune in last week, we discussed the headline, which was provided from Bridgewater's founder, Ray Dalio. Uh, he said the stock market was on the verge of a lost decade. Now, who is Bridgewater? They're the large, largest hedge fund manager in the world. So when they talk, people typically listen. Uh, now, the premise was based on the idea, Bridgewater's premise was that globalization, had, was dri- which drove profitability over the past few decades in the stock market, uh, has already peaked and that cost optimization has taken a backseat to now a focus on reliability and the duplication of supply chains, which has given... Uh, you know, given the issues of the pandemic. Now, this led to Dalio talking about um, a couple of companies that were essentially shoring up their supply chain. Now, in theory, this would lead to, and duplicating that supply chain, it would lead to lower margins and less profitability. Uh, Perhaps I would say this would be part of the equation, but if I was to make the argument for a lost decade, I would make it more based on the broader valuations where we are right now. To do this, I would look at a CAPE, 
and I'm not talking about Batman's or even Superman's. I'm referring to the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio of the stock market. It's a standard metric used to evaluate whether or not a market is overvalued, undervalued, or fairly valued. It was developed by Robert Schiller and popularized during the dot-com boom when he argued, and at the time he argued it correctly, that equities were highly overvalued. For that reason, it is casually referred to, and we refer to it often on the show as the Schiller PE. Um, now, why is it important? Why is the CAPE ratio important? Uh, well, Schiller demonstrated, he back-tested this data for 130 years, that the returns on the S&P 500 over the next 20 years are strongly inversely correlated to the CAPE ratio at any given time. So in other words, when the CAPE ratio of the market is high or the Schiller PE is high, it means that stocks are overvalued and the returns over the next 20 years will likely be poor or at least the returns are less than the experience returns over the previous period. Now, in contrast, when the ratio is low, it means the stock that stocks are undervalued and returns over the next 20 years will likely be good. Now, this is kind of intuitive. When stocks are cheap, they can increase in price, both from increased corporate earnings and from increased price earnings ratio on that figure. But when stocks are already expensive and have already had high price earnings ratios or have high price earnings ratio, there's a lot less room to grow, a lot more room to fall um, next time there's a recession or market correction. So where are we now? That is the question. Well, the Schiller PE is at about 28.5. That's about 10.1% higher than the recent 20-year average of 254 uh, that doesn't sound too expensive based on the last 20 years, but if you look at it based on the past 100 plus years, uh, the Cape, the average of the Schiller P over the past 100 years is about 17.1. So looking at it now at 28 and a half, that sounds significantly more expensive. Now, again, we put it in concept of the 20 year average at 25.8. So at 28.5, it, it's, you know, 10 and 10.1% higher. It doesn't sound that much more expensive so if you look at it you know if you look at where the chart is over over the last 20 years it's we've had a higher average pe ratio on the market so based on that it doesn't look so expensive now i would argue and we would argue at keystone i mean we we look at all of these ratios and give us an idea of where the market is but again we say this all the time it is a market of stocks not a stock stock market there are many reasons not to own the entire market right now and at other times but there's still great healthcare, for example or infrastructure or technology companies that we would own regardless of market conditions so while a lost decade for stocks makes great headlines it is really a lost concept for me and for the type of analysis that we do and there are always different factors that people have to take into account before they can just look at the historical price to earnings ratio of the market as well. As you said, Ryan, over the past 20 years, the average has been much higher than we've seen over the over the previous 80. Uh, and, and there are different reasons for that. One, of course, would be lower interest rates. We're in a period of historically low rates. So although valuation ratios based on earnings are quite high right now. The spread between the earnings yield of stocks 
and bond yields um, is is high as well, which would actually indicate that stocks are undervalued relative to to their biggest alternative, which would be bonds. Um, another thing that we also have to consider is that the world has changed a lot over the past 20 years, and the technology industry in the United States uh, is really leading the leading innovation and, tra and transformation for for all industries and for society in general. And if you look at the technology sector. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago was completely different than what it is right now. Um, back then, far more hardware-based. Nowadays, far more software-based. A lot of the solutions that are being provided, like alternative energy, or sorry, uh, <laughs> automation, um, uh, cloud computing, AI, machine learning, these these technologies are really um, are really changing the way we work and live and, and do business. So you would expect those companies, companies that are successful in those areas to trade at higher valuations than than their technology leaders would have 50 some odd years ago. So there are all these different things to consider, of course, but we don't want to just become complacent and think that, well, you know, uh, because society is different now that we can justify paying any type of evaluation for these companies. I, I would say that that is a very dangerous position to take. Um, yes, just keep saying it's a new normal is always exactly, difficult exactly. to say. And those are famous last words. Yes. Those are the famous last words that we've heard before every major market crash, every bubble explosion. It's different this time, right? Yeah. Exactly. And we, we heard that a lot during the tech boom because the internet technology back then was absolutely changing the world, um, which was true. People thought, investors thought that they could that they could justify any valuation for these companies, even when they weren't making money. And of course, that wasn't the case, even though the underlying story was absolutely true that the internet was transforming the world. It didn't mean that any company that had .com after its name should be trading at a high valuation. So those are just the things that we have to watch out for. And it's why doing a valuation of the market or an individual company is never a science. It's, it's more of an art that comes with experience and an understanding of the science that goes into it. Yeah, no, I would agree completely. And, and you really get into difficult areas when you start saying it's a new normal. I mean, we have to factor all these things in. Like Aaron said, we're more efficient, better margin companies. Do these companies deserve better margins or better multiples in the market? In all likelihood, they do. But, uh, you know, you can't pay anything for these businesses. So we have to, you know, stick to a strict valuation criteria that we continue to do so. So. And uh, I think we want to launch right into the show right now. We'll get to our first Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. It's from Naveed via YouTube. He says, I've been in on decisive dividend TSX on, or TSXV on the TSXV for two years. It's been hovering around $4 over that time until recently going down significantly. Uh, he's down significantly on the stock. I'd love to know what you think about this business. Uh, Brennan, we've tasked you with looking at that, and uh, you're going to give Naveen our answer and our take right now. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so Decisive Dividend Corp, ticker symbol DE on the Toronto or on the TSX Venture Exchange, uh, currently trading at a price of around $1.55 and has a market cap of $16.7 million and a trailing 12-month dividend yield of 23%, but I will get uh, into that dividend a little bit later here. Um, so as Ryan alluded to a little bit earlier, uh, Decisive Dividend Corp 
um, was established to acquire growing, stable, successful manufacturing companies uh, for the long term that provide steady and growing dividend payments to its shareholders. Um, and, you know, just to name a couple of these companies right now, um, you know, there's one that uh, sells wood burning stoves, air blast sprayers, uh, customized, you know, machining shops, and as well as uh, distributing wear parts and valves. Now, looking at the company here, uh, or looking at the company's share price, that is, uh, since 2017, the stock has really just been range trading between $3.50 and $4.50, uh, recently taking a very hard hit after the outbreak of COVID-19, which led the company to suspend its monthly dividend on March 31st, 2020, and caused the share price to collapse to a five-year low. Um, now, now that I've kind of painted the, the backdrop or the picture there, uh, looking at the company's financial results here, uh, most recently released um, for Q1 2020, uh, revenue was up 31% to $12.95 million compared to the same quarter last year. Adjusted EBITDA was up substantially, up 112% to $1.65 million compared to $778,000 for the same period last year. And net loss per share came in at a loss of $0.09 cents compared to a loss of $0.02 cents for uh, Q1 of 2019. Okay, so our take here. In the near term, because of the drop in oil prices and the outbreak of COVID-19, management does expect that uh, each of its subsidiaries will continue to experience some level of negative effect on their supply chains and customer demand, uh, just essentially because they're operating in manufacturing. Um, so with this being said, we do remain cautious on the business at this time. So I just wanted to you know, put that blanket over uh, before I really dig into it here. Now, I believe that it was prudent for Decisive to momentarily suspend its dividend while the company deals with headwinds. Plus, considering the company holds a lot of debt on its balance sheet with a net debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple of around 3.6 times and a debt to equity ratio well over one, um, you know, these ratios are pretty high. Now, we would expect more debt on the company's balance sheet, seeing as uh, these the company's subsidiaries um, are in relatively capital-intensive manufacturing businesses, as well as they've been growing through uh, acquisition with debt. Um, you know, you, you would expect there to be more debt on the balance sheet, but you know, it does leave us a little concerned with the company coming into headwinds here, um, you know, and, and needing to keep cash uh, on the balance sheet in order to, you know, service that debt. Now, Decisive has been able to grow its top line revenue through acquisition decently. And on a valuation basis, they are trading at relatively low multiples coming in with an enterprise value to adjusted EBITDA multiple of around six times. This, in my opinion, places Decisive currently trading at around fair value as, you know, like I was saying, the business is expecting operational headwinds. It recently cuts it, cut its dividend uh, and it does carry a large amount of debt on its balance sheet. So to conclude, due to its lack of consistent profitability, its large debt balance and the uncertainty regarding the company's future operations and the future of its dividend. I mean, it is a dividend stock and we don't even know when this dividend is going to come back. Um, you know, with this being said, it's not a stock that we would recommend at this time. Um, and yeah, maybe even one to, to steer, to steer clear from, but, uh, but yeah, any further comments on that, uh, on that company guys? Sure. So because I, I do most of the research for the our Canadian income stock service, I've, I've looked at decisive dividend 
um, several times in the past. And I, I, my, my memory doing some research on the company is that I always thought that Decisive was one of those companies that maybe came out with too high of a dividend to begin with. I've always, I've had some companies actually ask for my advice with respect to how to initiate a dividend. And I've always been of the opinion, you know, don't come out with a really, don't come out with a big dividend um, and try and impress the market with the, with the yield right away. Come out with something that you know is sustainable um, that you can gradually grow over time so that people can see that annual dividend growth over time. It's never, it's never a, a good sign to see a company have to suspend their dividend completely. Now, now we have seen a, a, other companies in the in the space um, reduce their dividends, and that is is you know something that that needs to be done from time to time if you have a really unusual environment like what we're in right now. But when a company just comes out and immediately suspends it, and their name is Dividend Corp, dividend is in their name. That that's never a good sign. So um, I would agree with you, Brennan. I mean, we never even. Previous to the pandemic, when they were doing better, we saw higher risk in the business. That's why we never recommended it to our clients, even though we looked at it several times. And I would say that that risk is even higher right now. But it certainly, obviously, is not an income stock since it doesn't even pay a, um, a dividend. I just took a quick look at the company's um, financial statements historically. And last year in, in 2019, they reported 3.9 million in, in cash flow from operations, um, whereas their dividend payments were 3.8 million. So that's a very high dividend payout ratio. That's one of the things that really uh, caused me to be cautious about the company. And then in 2018, operating cash flow was less than a million. Um, and they they paid out dividends of over three million dollars again. So the payout ratio has always been high. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we didn't recommend it. Um, and we would just we would just stand back. Right. Yeah. Now. Like even even before the crash, like I'm pretty sure they had like a yield of I don't know something like eleven percent or even a little bit higher. Um, and, and one piece of advice that I like that you always tell people, Aaron, is you know don't go chasing yield. You know you're better off trying to find a quality. You know. Um, a solid dividend, you know, sustainable dividend. Um, and, and, you know, I just don't know if decisive offers that. And I, and I guess obviously not with it cutting its dividend. No. And if you, even if you have a nice yield of, of, you know, 10 to 15%, which in and of itself should indicate a high level of risk. Uh, there are some select situations where we actually think that some of those yields could be relatively sustainable. But I mean, if you see your, your share price go down by 20, 30%, that easily takes out the take, takes all the yield. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't chase the yield. Focus on companies with lower payout ratios, more sustainable cash flow that can maintain and grow that yield, that dividend over time. Yeah, and Aaron correctly points out we have advised a number of companies on the past about their dividend policies. They've come to us and asked what we thought was a you know good payout ratio and how to grow that dividend, position it for investors over time. In the case of Decisive. Um, one of the issues, like Aaron said, they've had a significantly high payout ratio. And, um, you know, we would, like Aaron said, start with a lower payout ratio, room to grow from internally generated cash flow, grow the business, make acquisitions potentially, but, you know, have that lower ratio that you can uh, grow cash flow and then grow that dividend over time. I think that's far more attractive to shareholders. It's far more flexible for the business. Uh, if you had a lower payout ratio heading into this crisis pandemic, 
uh, you likely didn't have to cut your dividend right away, you know, depending on what industry you're in, but you're in a far better position then. And, uh, and, you know, when you have decisive dividend in your name and you're cutting it right away, it's not a good look. It also, you know, you can see what it does to the share price uh, as shareholders are invested in that company for the dividend when it is likely in your name. And, uh, you know, the company's just not able to sustain it in these in these type of uh, in this type of environment. So let's move on to our second Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. That's on Quarter Hill Inc., symbol QTRH on the TSX. Currently trades around $2.05, $243 million market cap. What does the company do? Quarter Hill, well, they have an interesting history. The company originally was created... Uh, or they themselves created great IP or intellectual property in the wireless arena under the name Wyland. The business then went on to basically become a quote-unquote patent troll, defending its own IP but purchasing other IP as well, employing a team of lawyers to litigate to enforce payment from larger companies to use that IP. Revenues were historically lumpy, and the market basically soured on these types of businesses and awarded them generally low multiples. Now today, Quarter Hill states that its mission is to acquire, empower, and grow technology companies. They emphasize seeking out acquisitions at reasonable prices that provide a foundation for recurring revenue, predictable cash flow and margins, profitable growth, and dedicated management teams within those businesses. All this sounds great. But we have monitored Quarter Hill for years now, and the businesses they have acquired to date have not yet provided significant predictable cash flow, and they were not often acquired at very reasonable prices to their underlying cash flow. So not good execution in our opinion. Now let's look at its most recent quarter, Q1 2020. Revenue was $26 million, down from $52.96 million. Only 24% or $6.2 million of that revenue was recurring. So not doing a good job in that tenant of their philosophy there. Adjusted EBITDA was, uh, EBITDA, sorry, was down significantly to 800000 Net loss was $5.1 million. Cash generated from operations was $9.1 million. But again, there's limited recurring revenue here, so low predictability going forward. Wyland has a great balance sheet. Cash and cash equivalents, $103 million in that range. Uh, it's ju- a jury recently in the quarter awarded it $85 million U.S., $85.2 million to be exact, uh, in a patent suit and a trial, jur- a, a trial jury against Apple. Uh, they appointed a new president and CEO in that quarter. His name is Paul Hill. Uh, They announced on May 19th that they had completed the sale of their investment in Vizia, which represents, which was an enterprise software company. They did this for cash proceeds of $49.4 million. Now, this company was acquired by uh, then Wyland, and then they changed their name to Quarter Hill, for about $40.5 million in 2017. So, it was acquired to create meaningful recurring cash flow for the business, but now it has been sold for 
you know, roughly a $9 million profit, really not what we would see in a company that is going out there and buying solid businesses for cash flow, flipping it three years later for not really that much of a profit. So our take here, Quarter Hill has a great balance sheet, again, $103 million in cash, which could be substantially added to via the sale of Vizia and potentially the lawsuit win against Apple, but we would not advise investors to hold their breath waiting for that payment. Those can go on and on for years in terms of appeals. On a trailing basis, valuations actually look fairly attractive, but this is factoring in some one-time payment wins from the past year. The company's core recurring revenues remain small, and the business is not profitable with, a, with these core revenues alone. Quarter Hill right now is essentially a bet on the new management team's ability to effectively deploy capital on hand on a go-forward basis. While intriguing, the company will be all about execution, and with limited track record and no existing recurring profitability, Quarter Hill remains outside of our criteria for investment. We will monitor it right now. Certainly, if you look at this company's performance over the long term, it, it has not performed well. Um, up over the past year, but uh, over the past ten, five years, 10 years, I mean, the company has performed quite poorly and it's really been extremely volatile. As you said, Ryan, not generating profitability from current operations. It's uh, it's certainly not focused on one. I mean, the, the they still have the patent trolling business um, and then they have other segments of their business. So it's uh, it's not an easy, it's not an easy company to really get a sense of where revenues and uh, the trajectory of revenues and profit. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the cash there if you had the right management team in there and if they capitalize on the recent sale uh, and potentially rake in, you know, 85 plus million U.S. uh, from the Apple uh, lawsuit. Now, they have to execute on that. And uh, until they come up with a track record uh, or start to execute and bring in profitable cash flowing businesses, uh, they can have some one-time wins, uh, some one-time licensing wins. It's going to be very lumpy over time. But uh, investors don't pay up for that. We've found that over the long term for businesses that don't have uh, consistent revenues. Um, There is a model here that I could see where you could have those windfalls come in, go out and buy good businesses. Uh, but you have to buy them at reasonable prices. You have to, you know, increase that cash flow, grow those businesses. Previous incarnations of this company with previous management teams have shown they have not been able to do that. Perhaps this new team uh, will. We will likely interview them at some point and, you know, see what their strategy is going forward. But at this stage, you know, there's no track record there. And the, the recurring revenues from the business are low. So we would just continue to monitor at present. Finally, we're going to look at our dog of the week. From our stars and dog segment, it's time for this week's dog. That is Facebook, FB on the NASDAQ. Aaron, you've dug into that one. Sure. Facebook uh, currently trading at about $215. It's a $615 billion market cap company. Facebook, of course, is the world's largest online social network approximately 2.5 billion monthly active users. And the company is best known for its Facebook.com app, but it also owns Instagram, Messenger, uh, WhatsApp, as well as additional features and products. 
Advertising sales represent more than 90% of the company's total revenue. Facebook shares dropped almost 10% over the past week after hitting an all-time high of just over $240 on June 23rd. Recently, the company's been the focus of a campaign called Hashtag Stop Hate for Profit, whereby advertisers have been pulling their ad budgets from, social, from the social media giant in response to Facebook's inability to control racist and violent content on its platform. Major advertisers that have suspended programs with Facebook include Coca-Cola, Diago, Unilever, and most recently, Starbucks. We monitor Facebook very closely in our U.S. growth stock research. It's a profitable company, it has a cash-rich balance sheet, and it passes several criteria. However, in spite of relatively strong financial results in Q1 of this year, we did note that management started to see a meaningful drop in ad revenue and pricing towards the end of the quarter due to the pandemic and shelter-in-place orders. This was before the company uh, recently came under fire for its content and lost, uh, lost some of its major advertisers. Looking at the Q1 2020 financials, revenue was up 18% to almost $18 billion. Net income per share was $1.71, an increase of over 100%. Facebook da daily active users were 1.73 billion on average in March, and that's an increase of 11% year over year. The company also ended the quarter with a cash-rich balance sheet that consisted of about $60 billion in cash and 10 billion in debt for $17.43 per share in net cash. Uh, the company's reported earnings per share of about $7.30 over the past year, so that puts the valuation at today's price at about 30 times earnings. So what the company did notice note in their in their financial report for Q1 is that the first two months of the quarter were quite strong, but then they saw a very substantial drop in advertising revenue and pricing in March, which was of course due to the pandemic. They did note that they started to see some stabilization at the end of April, um, but there there's enough uncertainty that they were not providing financial guidance for Q2 2020. So there's a few things that we definitely like about Facebook. Uh, it's the dominant player in the social media space, um, a major player in mobile advertising. In some, in some ways, Facebook.com is not as cool as it used to be with the, with the younger generation. But Facebook, the company, has gone well beyond the Facebook app. They also own Instagram. They own WhatsApp. They own Messenger. So they're continuing to, to grow um, into other areas of the social media market. Now... The, the concern for us, and this is before any of the, the, the campaigns started that caused them to lose advertisers, but the concern for us is that in spite of all of the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic and the potential loss in ad revenue, the company was actually trading at an all-time high. And that's always a concern to us where we, we, we want to see some of this uncertainty factored into the price. If you listen to somebody like Warren Buffett, he says buy stocks when there's blood in the streets, or be greedy when other people are fearful, fearful, fearful when other people are greedy. Well, he's, he's, saying, he's essentially saying that in times of uncertainty, it's good to buy stocks when you can get those stocks at a discount. 
But when you have times of uncertainty and you're still paying all-time highs and high levels of valuations for a company, that is not that is not a scenario where everybody else is being fearful. That's a scenario where everybody else is being greedy, maybe where when they w- should be more fearful. So that's a concern um, that doesn't even factor in any of the recent advertising losses that they've experienced. We don't know where that campaign is going to go. Are those advertisers going to come back? Are they going to continue to lose ad revenue? So right now, the level of uncertainty would cause us to be very cautious on Facebook. Now, I think if you're looking long term, you could have a position in Facebook, um, but I would keep that position relatively small in size. And I would look for opportunities if you wanted to own Facebook to just gradually add over a period of 12 to 24 months as some of this uncertainty works its way out works itself out and if you see an opportunity to buy at a more attractive price and valuation. Um, but just looking at where the valuation is right now, where the share price is right now, we don't. We certainly don't see any type of an opportunity over the next 12 to 24 months. So good company long term, um, but a lot of unknowns right now and those unknowns we do not believe are being factored into the share price. Yeah, and perhaps you know because of the historically of historical strong growth and the good balance sheet, maybe it's a partial position that somebody would look at. But like you said, um, there's you know they pulled guidance. Basically, it's you're flying a little bit blind, and and you know that in the near term, you know they were facing, uh, they are facing because of the shutdown and because of the pandemic, they're facing ad revenue shortfalls. So. Uh, you typically would see a discounted price and it wouldn't take, you know, a boycott of their uh, their platform in the near term to have somewhat of a sell off. But that was a sell off from, you know, 10 percent sell off from all time highs. So like Buffett says, that's not blood in the streets. I mean, that, he, that would not be a time we'd consider blood in the streets. So perhaps, you know, if you're looking five years out a dominant social media player or something you want to add to your portfolio in the near term there is some uncertainty here i do question how long some of those companies will be able to you know take themselves off all of uh, facebook's advertising platforms uh including instagram where you know you're targeting a a very valuable demographic there that uh, you can't get in other areas i mean there are some areas that you can attack them from but uh you know instagram is a dominant player there as well um and and, you know we know that facebook has been an effective advertising medium so uh do they pull it off near term but they're back in a quarter or back in a month Uh, i'm not sure if there's some change there and then really is it just a blip over the long term more than likely facebook makes some token change um that at least gives its advertisers the the credibility to say like okay well they listened to us and they changed something so we're going to go back uh whether that change actually uh, you know, solves a problem that they're trying to solve, which is monitoring their content and, and policing the content is is unknown. And I think that that's a very, with all of the content going through Facebook and all of the money that's that's incentivized to be able to create that content in a way that passes through Facebook's algorithms, but still, you know, has the issues that uh, that that people are complaining about. Um, I mean, there's there's it's a very difficult problem for Facebook to to solve. So um, we'll see. But certainly, there's 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 uncertainty here. I'm no expert, but it seems extremely difficult to tackle and 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 have everybody on board with your with whatever your policy is in that respect. So. 
I think that about does it for us this week. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Aaron and Brennan, and uh, keep your questions coming in to our Your Stock, Our Take segments and our Ask Us Anything segments. We appreciate them every week. Again, we're getting more and more, but we endeavor to answer them all. Uh, Again, I'd like to wish all our listeners out there, you stay safe and uh, profitable investing. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.